The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash NFL. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzola here with Sam Monson. It's your week 11 review. What's up, man? Not much, Steve. How about you? Is that energy enough for you? Uh, I mean, it's okay. Not going to lie. It's the middle of the season. Energy level's down. It's getting, yeah, we're sort of heading towards the final third of the season. No, it's good. We're 11 weeks in. Another exciting week of action. We'll go through all of it in an efficient manner. Okay. Right. Yeah. Ready to go? Sure. All right. Let's start with the Thursday night debacle. Ah. Mm. We're not going to sit here and talk about the fight for 10 minutes, right? Helmet swinging. Well, we have to at least mention the idea that this is so everyone was talking about this being very uncharacteristic for Miles, right? Based on his mild mannered demeanor. But for us, it's uncharacteristic because we witnessed bench clearing brawls. We were there when we went to see Cleveland and Indianapolis scrimmage. A couple of them bench clearing brawls. Everyone runs to a different field to get into the melee. Miles just standing around going now chilling. And we were like we were standing eight feet from him. Let this let this be a warning for all those who do this. I was there scouting, Uh right? We see this all the time. I was there when this guy had his best game and somehow it just plays in your head. Like it, it, like it weighs more than the other 10 games. So we're sitting there watching miles Garrett, just lose it on the field. And we're just like, man, we were there and we joked with him about it. We did. We were like, we talked about this on the podcast. Savvy veteran move, not running a whole field away to get involved in a melee. He basically said, I ain't got time for that. Yeah. Yeah. I ain't got time for that. And yet, there he goes. He had plenty of time for it. He way on the field. Apparently he had plenty of time to try and brain Mason Rudolph with his own helmet. The thing that made this difference, you know, baseball fights, basketball fights, football fights. Nobody really wants to fight out there. The, the, like nobody's jumping into like MMA type stuff out there. It's all like, ah, oh, I'm mad at you. Let's throw some punches. Like, I don't really want to hurt my hand and stuff like that. And then Miles kind of took it to a new level. He was actually mad and trying to hurt people. Yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And then other people tried to hurt him. There's an awful lot. There, there's a lot been talked and written about Whose fault was it? Who started it? Yada, yada, yada. Right. But I think everybody can kind of can kind of come together and agree that swinging the guy's helmet at his unprotected head took it to a new level. Yeah, it was pretty poor. So um, the Browns ended up winning yes. 21 to 7. I did think um, 
Baker Mayfield looked comfortable early, still ended up missing a ton of throws, should have had a bad pick in there. So he ends up with a another mediocre grade for him. Disastrous outing for Mason Rudolph. Yeah. For the Steelers. And it just felt like they could not ride the defense with uh, an inconsistent offense like that the entire season. So I think Steelers fans got a ton, they had a ton of optimism over the last few weeks, the way the defense was playing. It was just same old. It's just tough to sustain. I know they only gave up 21 points, including a late, it was a late touchdown, mm. but there were flashes tough to sustain. Yeah. There were flashes in this game of the offense. We, we, keep waiting to see from the Browns, right? Yeah. Baker Mayfield didn't have the best game in the world. It was that ugly pass left inside that should could have been picked off. There was some other bad stuff in there, but early on... Early on looked comfortable. Right. There were some plays in there where you're like, okay, this guy does still exist somewhere. Right. Like He hasn't completely disappeared off the face of the planet. Um, so that at least I think is, I guess, encouraging that there were signs of life. Like The, pa- the problem with the past sort of month plus has been you didn't even see those flashes. This right. is just, this is bad, top to bottom. It's not looking good. There's no signs of life. There's no inkling that this is coming to, that this is going to get better at any point. This was the first game where we actually saw some signs of life there. And it's like, okay, there's, this is at least still in there somewhere. Yeah, I tweeted out, I thought early on, he had two big time throws early and pocket movement with a purpose. You know, he wasn't just drifting. He was actually stepping up in the pocket. So little things, I think, to to maybe hang your hat on if you're a Browns fan and uh, trying to see uh, Baker get back on track. And did that despite his offensive line still getting its ass kicked. Like, it's right. not like that fixed itself and suddenly things were looking better. Yeah, the ste- still under pressure. The Steelers' defense is getting after quarterbacks. That didn't change from Javon Hargrave to Tyson Alu-Alu, Cameron Hayward, TJ Watt, all those guys getting after it. Bud Dupree. We have to do Bud Dupree watch every week. Did since since we talked him up, he has three hurries. Yeah, in his two worst pass rushing grades, I believe, of the season. This is God's way of punishing me for abandoning my long held belief Brian. that Bud Dupree was not good. But it's it's not just three. He finally, made me move off that take, and the second I did it. He stinks. I just want you to give credit where credit's due. He doesn't only have just three hurries in two games. He has three hurries on 80 rushes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Including none in 33 in this game. Yeah. He did at least defend the run well, but... Oh, he made a couple nice plays there. Yeah. The uh, the two-back offense, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, I know they did some nice things passing-wise, but they also had Kareem Hunt's like, lead blocking on a couple. That was one of the well, plays I think Bud... But they also went up. away from it a lot. So the first week, they ran that on like 45% of their snaps. Yeah. Against the Steelers, they pivoted to a um, 12 personnel look. One back, two tight ends, which is what we were kind of saying. It didn't make sense. They yeah. avoided doing that so far because they don't have two tight ends, at least not two that you want on the field. And instead, it was they pivoted to this two back offense. And that looked like it could be their version of 12 personnel. And it worked week one. So, of course, they go away from it the next week. And instead, go to the, the offense that didn't make any sense for them to run in the first place. Now, as you say, they, you know they scored 21 points. They saw some signs of life. But that was a weird decision to pivot that way. All right. Browns 21 to 7. Now they get a Joku back, though. He's been reactivated. So maybe they actually do have two tight ends now. Yeah, maybe they've, they've got the talent. All right. Let's go through the rest of yesterday's game. Dallas Cowboys 35. Detroit Lions 27. You know, during Dak's rookie season where it felt like he was really protected. You know, it was, it was run and play action and everybody's like, well, Zeke's making Dak better and all that stuff. I always wanted to see kind of like we talked about with like the Russell Wilson game, like put the ball in Dak's hands, Get, let him drop back 40 to 50 times instead of just protecting him. This was one of those games. He drops back 49 times 
throws for 444, three touchdowns, no interceptions, had a couple risky passes in there. But I mean, just he's been tough to sack. He's Dallas. I know Dak's showing up really good in all the advanced metrics because he's not getting sacked nearly as often as he did last year. And he just continues to make plays to move the chains dominated at the intermediate level with nine completions for almost 200 yards there. Um, so really nice game for Dak. It was. Um, and despite Amari, so a lot of his success has been the fact that Amari Cooper has been saucing everybody right. wide open. Nobody can cover him. We talked about going into this game. This was going to be a one-on-one matchup predominantly with Darius Slay, who's one of the best corners in the NFL. He, at least in theory, should be able to cover Amari Cooper the way none of the Vikings corners could. And it happened. Um, Darius Slay, while covering Amari Cooper, targeted seven times, three catches for 38 yards and two pass breakups. Yeah. Um, total, Darius Slay was targeted 10 times, gave up five for 68. So Michael Gallup got him with a couple of catches, but Darius Slay did as good a job on Amari Cooper as anybody we've seen in a while which is a big help. This is one of the reasons why I didn't like the Lions coming in, because if you just look at the coverage grades, Slay was reasonable, and then poor grades from Tavon Wilson, Will Harris at safety, Rashawn Melvin, Justin Coleman, and we like Coleman. He's been better, more good than bad over time, but the number two cornerback spot always seemed like a major issue for Detroit. Coleman has been, has had five rough weeks in a row essentially and then the number two spot we said with Rashawn Melvin it was like all right early in the season is going to be Tease Tabor before he got released I mean this has been a big question mark in Detroit opposite Darius Slay and it came back to bite pretty badly in this one yeah I mean Slay did a really good job against Cooper but it didn't matter because everybody else was open yeah um, you know they that and that was kind of this that's been part of the story for Dallas this season is that Sure, you you might be able to cover Amari Cooper, but now we have Michael Gallup, who's turning into a really nice number two receiver. Randall Cobb is sort of resurrecting his career um, over the last few weeks and been an effective weapon. They've got other places they can go with the ball, even if you are able to cover um, Cooper. And Dak Prescott has never been better equipped to find those guys. You know, he's not just a one uh, a one target quarterback. He actually can spread the ball around, get it to other people and take advantage of where the wherever the mismatch is. Yeah, he did a nice job in this one. Um, Detroit hung tough with with Jeff Driscoll at the helm. He made some plays. He did some crazy plays, but some plays he's got. You know, he was he's always had some of those athletic outside the pocket. We saw it in his first start two weeks ago. We at least gave a guy an opportunity down the field, even if it was kind of a jump ball. He's always had some of that playmaking ability it's always just been that down to like uh josh allen light for uh for driscoll i'd and say there's he's got it, it's sort of like the the ryan fitzpatrick situation in in new york in particular he's got a couple of receivers that are good guys to have if you have that yolo mentality in there for sure so he threw a couple of jump balls in this game and marvin jones i think snagged one kenny galladay snagged one as well like those those guys didn't have great games, but they're able to make those kind of plays where if you give them a chance, they'll win some jump balls for you. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, impressive effort. He's also got that far thing of the, you know, insane pass across your body to space that doesn't work unless you're Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Um, whatever about Driscoll's athleticism and arm, it's not Patrick Mahomes. And he threw a couple of those where it's like, ooh. Now, when we were at the Senior Bowl, Driscoll, I'm pretty sure I was there scouting. Hmm. The one good thing about I was there scouting is being able to see the quarterback's arm in person. 
Okay. Like you do kind of see the differences. I'm, I, can't, I think the team was Carson Wentz, Jeff Driscoll, Kevin Hogan, Cody Kessler. Mm. And then it was so. It looked good for Cody. No. Carson Wentz, Cannon. Yes. I mean, it was a little windy. He's cutting the wind. I mean, just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Great velocity. Driscoll had the second best arm. It was good, but it was like a clear step down from Wentz. Yeah. Then it was Kevin Hogan. Eh, you know, average yeah. NFL arm-ish. You know, not great. And then Cody. And then Cody, who looked like a high schooler. Yeah. You know, much like Kellen Moore, much like some of these other guys. You have to win with other ways. Yeah. But so that is the the one good thing about I was there scouting. Not so much weighing performance, but actually seeing those physical tools. So there's a little perspective on Driscoll. Mm-hmm. It would have been nice to see Stafford in this shootout with Dallas. Yeah, that would have been fun. Dallas travels to New England next week. And that should be a great battle. Yeah, that's its own fun. We'll get to the Patriots later. All right. Dallas wins 35-27. Let's go to Indianapolis where the Colts win 33-13 to over the Jaguars. It was a lot closer than this into the second half and then the Colts pulled away. Yeah. Um, and we got robbed of one of the greatest. Well, I suppose a touchdown celebration happened even if they took the touchdown off the board. Quentin Nelson got given a carry. Uh, presumably as a reward for his dominant play. Yeah. Um, thought he took it in. Signal or the touchdown was given, ultimately taken off. But his celebration was a keg stand. Impressive. Which was pretty epic, which involved multiple people having to hoist him up into the air, which in and of itself is pretty impressive. He had it all ready. Right. You got to get him the ball again. He was dominant in this game. Um, and frankly, you know, you probably don't have a better short yardage back. Let's, let's give it a shot again. Nelson was dominant. Jags offensive line got whooped. This was a trench game. Yeah. In the trenches type of game. Jacoby Brissett played a really efficient game for the Colts. Couple big time throws. Didn't put the ball in harm's way. Didn't miss a whole lot. Um, I thought, you know, Foles looked good early in his return. Made a few plays and then just looked a little uncomfortable at times when, you know, under pressure and forced a couple. But, um, you know, I thought the Jags. I thought the Jags were going to be okay with him under center after what we saw with Minshew. I don't think it was a disastrous performance, but I expected a little bit more. And I definitely think the Colts really whooped him up front. Yeah, and I think the the pressure thing is big. He definitely was under a reasonable amount of it, and that's it was a huge difference when he was kept clean versus when he was under pressure. Um, just the numbers we have right now: pass rating was 112 when he was kept clean and 33. When he was under pressure. And, and this is this is like this is Nick Foles to a T, right? I mean, it's all it's a lot of quarterbacks. But in 2017, when he made that run, he had the highest passer rating under pressure when he made the Super Bowl run. The unsustainable stuff because he's willing yeah. to stand in there and make throws, which he did in 2017. And sometimes you stand in and it's a great throw. And other times you stand in and it's a pick or it's a bad throw. So yards per attempt went down three full yards when he was pressured and his, and his completion percentage went down almost 20 points. Neil pointed out to me, I don't know if you caught this but late in the fourth quarter, Cam Robinson gave up a sack, really bad sack to Justin Houston. They got benched. He ended up on the sideline for uh, Cedric Oboyhe for the last 13 snaps. Yeah, when Cedric Oboyhe is coming in and in your stead, you've, you've had a bad day. Not good. Cam Robinson gave up six pressures, including that really bad sack um this was houston this was peak jacoby Brissett, though in terms of this is what he's supposed to do right this roster is good enough to win if you just get out of its way and don't don't screw it up and if you can add a few value plays over the top all the better yeah rushed for a touchdown had a nice 
uh, you know, scramble also for playing, a touchdown. Also, his playing with basically building scaffolding around his knee. Did you see the state of that knee brace? I didn't see the knee, no. His, like, his leg looked like a building facade after it, you know, when they dress it up with all the scaffolding. It was just big metal bars all over the place. And then he's taken off and running, like, into the open field. <laughs> he made he made a few plays that way, though. But this is, it sort of highlights again just how horrendous Brian Hoyer was. You know, the two ends of the spectrum. This is Jacoby Brissett not making the mistakes, making a few nice plays over the top. Suddenly the Colts win the game, you know, relatively comfortably. And then the other end of the scale, Hoyer comes in, just is the reason that they can't win, despite being a dramatically better roster top to bottom. You know what was one of the weirdest parts of this game? I believe it was still 10-7. Colts are facing third and almost 20. It's like third and 18, 19, whatever. They throw a screen pass to Jonathan Williams, the running back from Arkansas, drafted in 2016, played for multiple teams. He's got two career catches coming into this game. He goes 31 yards hmm. on a third and 18 or 19 screen or whatever it is. And that helped propel the Colts in a game. I think it was 10-7 at the time. Football is just weird. Sometimes. I mean, we sit here and we analyze everything. And all of a sudden, a screen pass to an afterthought running back who has two career catches is one of the turning points in the game. Yeah, that, and that just kind of sums up the Colts to me. <laughs> They're just getting play from like Kenny Moore made a ton of really nice plays again, playing cover two, play you know come up into the flat. He had a sack, all this stuff. Kenny Moore, the cornerback, they just get the highest end play from guys that probably casual fans have no clue about. Yeah, and it's also more than almost any other game. The amount that it pivots on one single random play in the yeah. middle of the game is insane. Um, you know, that's why as much as, you know, everything we do is, is building around these analytics and the data and, and all-encompassing stuff, but it's why you need the largest sample size possible because in a single game, things can pivot on one weird play that shouldn't have happened. Um, or shouldn't have happened, did happen, whatever. Like one weird play can completely change the outcome. Just call it unexpected. I mean, it's not. Right. Can completely change the outcome of these games one way or the other. And that's why you just need to be careful how much you react off the back of some of them. Right. Because it's one play that could, like, you do it again, it will break the other way and everything changes. We mentioned how important this game was in the AFC South. The Colts moved to six and four. The Jags now four and six. So immediately the Colts jumped to first, tied for first with the Texans at six and four. And they have the tiebreaker so far. And the Jags four and six fall to last. Yeah, that's a big swing. That's a, a, an interesting division down the stretch. It is. You still have the Titans lurking there at five and five. Just to annoy everybody. including Pretty us. much. So that's what they do. We're going to buy this week, though, at least so we don't have to talk about it. We did not get our t- Titans analysis wrong this week. Mm-hmm. Yay. All right, AFC East battle. Buffalo Bills at the Miami Dolphins. Good game for the Bills to just, they're the better team. Dolphins had been really pesky the last couple weeks. Pesky. Beat the Colts, <laughs> right? Two wins in a row for the tanking Dolphins. Yeah, just making themselves further and further out of first position, which but apparently is okay now that two has wrecked himself. Yeah, but two is not the prize. Poor kid, by the way. And I'll feel bad for Tua. Um, with Burrow, Burrow now? That's the prize? I think, I think Burrow's the prize. Okay. Man, eyes downfield, accuracy. He's just doing a lot of NFL things. The one-year wonder thing. Well, he's got to go to Cincinnati, right? Local boy done good. 
comes back home. Yeah. Directs a franchise. Yeah. So the Dolphins still need it. I think it's somewhat local. It's like he's in Ohio, but it's really Steelers country. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I've been told. Hmm. I'm still a young Ohioan. Ohioan. Yeah. Cincinnatian. Older than me, though. So I, I lean on you for my Ohio knowledge. Yeah. Plus, you're American. That, I mean, you know, puts you at a certain advantage. The uh, Bills pass game was efficient. Josh Allen showed off that cannon. I mean, that was what I was. The cover two shot. He finally hit a ball beyond 20 yards. Cover two shot down the right sideline for a touchdown to John Brown. That was nice, but he continued his efficiency at the intermediate level, seven for seven for 96 yards and a score at the 10 to 19 yard in between the numbers uh, area for Josh Allen. So the pass game was pretty efficient for the bills. Allen added a rushing touchdown and their defense is just tough as always. Yeah. The Dolphins insistence on writing Kalen Balazs is kind of amazing at this point. The guy had nine carries for nine yards. Um, and then like his receiving, I think he dropped at least another clanger. Yeah, five catches for eight yards. Yeah. So that dude touched the ball, what did I just say? Fourteen times for seventeen yards. Yeah. What, and it's great. If that was an outlier, you could say, Okay, fair enough. We went up against a tough Bills defense here. Bad things happen. This is like what he's been all season long. And I kinda liked his skill set coming out. Like he can do a lot of things. But he, he was never been, efficient at Arizona State either, though. No, and I think a lot of the problem was usage there. But you can't make that excuse here. He has been amazingly bad. Like, top to bottom, utterly useless at everything they're asking him to do. And yet they still play him. Yeah. Which would make sense if you're trying to tank. But then you also would have kept in the worst quarterback if that was the case. Like, I don't understand what Kalen Balaj has over that coaching staff that keeps him on the field. They traded your boy, Kenyon Drake. Yeah. Fascinating game for the Bills defense. We have eight different guys credited with a sack. So I take it back. The Colts are not the only team getting some sort of contribution from everybody. Star Lotelele, Jordan Phillips, Jerry Hughes, Tremaine Edmonds, Matt Milano, Shaq Lawson, Ed Oliver, Corey Legion. Yeah. Nobody with more than one. All credited with a sack. Right. Per our numbers. Remember, we don't do half sacks. Damn right. Premium stats, 2.0. PFF Elite. Go check it out. The real sack numbers. If you get to the quarterback and you sack him, we give you full credit. Yeah, it should count. I think it's it's time to once again explain the NFL only does half sacks because they want them to add up, not because it's a better part of evaluation, not because it's right. a better way to evaluate. There are, yeah, there's a lot of people that think that half sacks are like those ones where it, you know, it wasn't a sort of... It's a less dominant play because you needed help to finish it. That's not why they're giving half sacks. No. Like they're not giving half sacks because you needed somebody to jump on the pile and finish the play. They're giving half sacks because they want the numbers to add up. Right. Like Ryan Fitzpatrick was sacked seven times. Yeah. So the NFL wants the Bills as a defense to have seven total sacks. sacks so they have to have half sacks where right. we gave credit to eight. So there are there are single there are solo sacks that are significantly worse plays than yeah. half sacks given because they want the numbers to add up. And ultimately, the PFF pass rush grade is way more right. indicative of dominance but, anyway. Know, but Just think about it logically, right? We've all seen plays like the Strahan sack that broke the record or, you know, where the quarterback, right. where the quarterback runs out of bounds and you just happen to be the nearest defender to him. Full sack. You right, full exactly. One. Full sack, full credit. Look, great number. Whereas a half sack, we've all seen guys, you know, you meet at the quarterback, two edge rushers, both whoop their man at the same time. They smash the quarterback in half at the back of the pocket. Half sack. 
That's big, not why they're doing that. They're right. doing that to make the numbers add up, not because it's a tangibly better play. Big game for the Bills there. They're 7-3. and three. They are currently, so you've got the Patriots with the number one seed, the Ravens right behind them with the number two seed, and because the Bills are in the Patriots division, they would be the top wildcard team if the season ended today. Which it doesn't, apparently. It does not. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness. If the season ended today, the NFL would lose a lot of money. They would not be happy. It would. It would. Uh, but the Bills have the Broncos, Cowboys, and then a battle with the Ravens coming up. Mm, that'll be On fun. December 8th. That could be fun. Which could have some serious playoff implications. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to the Broncos, who we just mentioned. They lose to the Minnesota Vikings. I heard people complaining, saying that the Broncos blew it. 20 to nothing lead, they blew it. They did. But let's give credit to the Minnesota Vikings. Captain Kirk. Yeah. What a comeback. Uh-huh. 27-23, the Vikings come back to win. You see Tony Dungy say it was because they established Alvin Cook, which made the play action work. I did hear that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's wrong. Very wrong, in fact. Why is that? Uh, because as Chris said in the broadcast, play action just works. Whether you can run the ball worth, I think he's used the term worth a lick or not. Yeah. I wouldn't go quite that country, but um, same same theory, right? Whether you run the ball or not. I love Dalvin, but he was not established with 11 carries for 26 yards. No. <laughs> in no possible conceivable way was Dalvin Cook the reason they won. Maybe Alexander Madison established the run with his three carries for five yards. What about Amir Abdullah? They threw him in there occasionally. He had one carry for five. Well, that might have done it. That's five yards of carry, Steve. Kirk had two QB sneaks. Uh-huh. A really bad one that got credited for a first down. He was like way short, wasn't <laughs> right. he? Yes. Um, so this game was weird in that, you remember when we previewed this game, we said it kind of felt like a trap game. You you did. I was right. like, no way. I, and through the first half, I was like, see, a trap game. Him. Full trap. Um, they were terrible early on. They got absolutely destroyed. It, their uh, drive chart for this game is something truly spectacular. If you look at it, like in sequence, it's like yeah. punt, 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 turnover, punt, and then like touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. touchdown. Yeah. That was um, crazy. But so they yeah, it took them an age to get things going. Their defense kind of held them in it. You know, Harrison Smith at one period appeared to be trying on his own to stop this nonsense single handedly. Um, there was a few guys that, that held up reasonably well in defense. Um, and then so, by the way, one of them was not Xavier Rhodes, Xavier Rhodes, rather, who was getting toasted by Cortland Sutton at one point. Sutton ran a sluggo, like a slant and go pattern, was open by like 10 yards. Brandon Allen, his little hands, heaved it deep and was like five yards under thrown. Still, like the catch was made, but that was a touchdown if he'd been able to get it anywhere yeah. near where he was supposed to get it. Um, he got so, air yards, though, so it must have been good. Yeah. So Rhodes is struggling now. Rhodes at this point is a problem within this defense. Um, Trey Wayne's held up okay. Even he had a play where he should have been able to bat it away. The ball just missed the swat to, to knock away a pass. Um, but the defense kind of held him in there long enough for the offense to finally click and get some things going. Really nice deep pass from Kirk Cousins to Stephon Diggs. That was really pretty feels like a connection they could make more use of i want i want to rescind my kirk cousins joke i made a joke oh yeah what'd you say i mean they were getting torched it's the second half uh-huh. and you know the first few passes from cousins are just you know they're in the flat and you know little check downs and all that yeah. stuff and i was like oh he's gonna check down at the time he'd only had like two incompletions i was like oh he's gonna finish the game like 38 for 40 with 97 checkdowns, right sure. you know with all these dinks and dunks and as i said that you know he made some legit throws he actually challenged the ball down the field a little bit took a few chances and of course that rollout backside post or whatever it was to digs 
right on them. There was a period in this game where it looked like they were going to execute a you know multiple multiple score uh, comeback at four yards a clip. Yeah. Like across the board, whether yeah. it was rushing or passing, they were gonna they were gonna claw this thing back at four yards an attempt over the course of an entire half of football. Um, now, eventually, they ended up you know they took a shot to Diggs, they got a big chunk of it back, but like at, at some point, this game was excruciating seeing them try and claw that back in increments, and then right at the death, so they score. Um, the Broncos have their chance to come back and and get a win and execute some of the weirdest play calling you're ever going to see. So so they had which part you talk because they, so determining yes. that Noah Fant was the matchup weapon to go for in this game when Noah Fant had a not been doing that much B was being blanket covered by somebody who clearly had the advantage at that point in J. Ron curse. Right. And C you had Cortland Sutton who'd been toasting the people he was playing all day. Right. So they just, you know, the, the fourth quarter comeback that they made a couple fourth down conversions and then they they let a lot of time come off the clock. That was weird. At yeah. one point, they had about forty something seconds. It ended up at twenty. So they so got to a point that didn't let the right. like twenty seconds come off a thirty six second clock. The Vikings saved them by calling a timeout, much like the Raiders a couple of weeks ago. They did with like ten seconds left, right? Yeah. So then it, it got to a point where were they like the six eight yard line, whatever it was. Yeah. They had to run. They only had time for multiple phases. Two shots into the end zone. Yes, and yeah, that's where you would think Portland Sutton might be the... Yeah. Instead, you throw the ball to Noah Fant. And even... So even if you think that Noah Fant is like a go-to matchup problem, right? He's not good at contested catches in the end zone. Like, that's not what he's supposed to... Like, he's supposed to be straight-line speed guy who can shift people, you know, lose people in a route. You know, he's not going to win a fade. Right. Like, particularly... And so, and then the very last pass... Like he, he he pushed off in order to get open in the first place and then was too late finding it. The ball like basically hit him in the face. We were talking about that in our PFF group chat and all that stuff. And somebody was like, oh, that's DPI. You know, that's offensive pass interference. It's like J. Ron Curse was holding his jersey. Yes. But it was after Noah Fant pushed him away and J. Ron like tried to yeah, tugged him back into him. Like, yeah. It's almost like the first pass interference loses. The best thing you that's can Noah. say about that is that it was they were both. It was both penalties on both sides. It should offset and we replay again. Yeah. Though Ben Stockwell made the point and I agree with him. Then in that scenario, I would far rather no flag than flagging both of them. Like if you're both, then you got to replay. The ball is incomplete. You know, unlucky. You screwed up. Especially if the offense initiates the contact. I'm all for if there's a real defensive pass interference. Call it. And there were some yesterday. Yeah, we'll get to those. But a lot of yeah, this was everywhere. he shoved off to get open. Curse grabbed him to try and stop the shove off happening. And the ball was incomplete. So I say no harm, no foul, Steve. Anyway, Let's play again, impressive all around win. Come back for the Minnesota Vikings. They survived. So this is an interesting one in terms of like what this does to you psychologically. You know, I think there's a lot to this idea of winning a game that you shouldn't have won. And not from the start, but from the point where you're buried looking like you're screwed and you've made a mess of this trap game, you then come all the way back and execute that win. Plus you survive the late goal line stand that could have lost you it again, having made the comeback. I think despite the fact that this is a game, the Vikings should have won by multiple scores, winning it in the manner they did is a good psychological result for this team. You think it gives them momentum? No, because I don't think that really exists. Well, that's what you're saying. Psychologically, they've got momentum. No, I think if you're if you're a Kirk Cousins led team and the criticism is you don't win 
you don't win primetime games against good teams and you don't make comebacks. You're kind of like checking at least at least we're capable of doing this. You check those right. boxes. At least we're capable. Mm-hmm. Right. So he's I think been, that part's I mean, good. As he's been doing that a lot this season. There's a, there's been probably three games now where it's like this is a game Kirk Cousins doesn't win. And he's come he's through won. on the clutch. Now, it doesn't mean he will, because as we said, you know, when you start this, <laughs> when you start this improbable run of high end Kirk Cousins play really early in the season, that's asking a lot for it to sustain all the way through to the important games. Look, we, but this is a game that they had Kirk Cousins not been able to dial up that deep pass at the right time. They would not have won this game. No, he made some key plays. And as much as we joke about him being on the conservative end, if you do continue to just complete passes, which he does at a high level, you keep completing passes. You're giving your guys an opportunity to make plays. So he's playing some pretty good football overall. All right, let's move on to NFC South battle. New Orleans Saints at the Tampa Bay Bucks. We wanted to see how Breeze would bounce back. He was much more efficient than he was the previous week against the uh, 85 Bears, a.k.a. Atlanta Falcons. Mm. So it's like, you know, the Saints are just back on track right where they need to be. Jameis has thrown picks left and right. I mean, this was... Jameis now has four more turnover-worthy plays than any other player in the NFL. Feels light. And that is amazing. Yeah. He also, the biggest problem is that you might be able to live with that if he also led the NFL in big-time throws. But he doesn't. In fact, he's 10 off the lead in big-time throws. He has fewer than Kirk Cousins. Um, Fewer than Jared Goff, who people are saying is playing like crap. Um, so that's the real problem is that Cesium or Jameis, as we yeah. call him, is he's he is an incredibly highly volatile quarterback. But right now he's not the, the, the volatility isn't swinging to the right end. It's just a lot of bad. I mean, Jared Goff's problem isn't making good throws. It's how many bad throws. That, that's that's right. the thing about okay. it. So put it that way. Right. Yeah. Jared Goff has thrown 20 turnover worthy plays, which is six fewer than Jameis. Yikes. And that's his problem. Yeah. Goff has had. Definite turnover-worthy play issues. Yeah, that's rough. Yeah, Goff's third in the NFL, and that's bad. But it's six fewer than Jameis. Mike Williams looked like he was, looked like he was a little frustrated. Yeah, I think th- so. There's a few receivers this week that I, I noticed that from that they just looked <laughs> pissed off with the situation of who was throwing them the ball. I, th- I, th- I think it was Allen Robinson last night on Sunday Night Football that looked more annoyed than I've seen him. Given the history of Allen Robinson dealing with this train wreck of quarterback situation dating back to at least high school. High school. Rob Bolden. Right. To, to get him pissed off with the with where the ball is going must take something pretty special. And yet there was a couple of plays yesterday where he looked back and just just disgusted yeah. at Trubisky. Wasn't great. There was no Marshawn Lattimore in the secondary for the Saints. Eli Apple with a big game. P.J. Williams had a lot of... Mike Evans interactions, you know, was a little hit or miss there, but another just all around effort, you know, Cameron Jordan has nine pressures and they were getting five pressures from Sheldon Rankins uh, contributions from just a whole bunch of, you know, much like some of the other teams, Trey Hendrickson back in the mix with three pressures. They just got a lot of, uh, you know, different guys up front making plays for the Saints. Cameron Jordan was a beast in this game. Yeah, Um, he was really good. I mean, he's been one of the best edge rushes in the NFL for a number of seasons now um he's i don't think he's been quite as dominant this season i always so, call him the most underrated player yeah I, earlier in the year i think he was really really good and then went on a sort of quiet stretch but this was him back to being you know really impressive disruptor again breeze still did not pick, complete a pass beyond 20 yards over two so it was all the and he only he only attempted uh seven passes beyond 10 yards 
So that short, the short pass game, again, very extremely efficient. They schemed open some stuff, had a nice touchdown pass. Um, again, I do wonder at some point how much teams really try to take away the short stuff and just let him, you know, chuck it down the field. Right. Like as long as as long as that is the trend, you are at least giving teams a blueprint to try and beat you. Now, it doesn't mean you won't be able to beat them when they do that. Oh, Breeze is capable. Least, you just right. But you're at least telling teams what they need to do in order to come to stop you. All that said, he had 28 completions for 228. The Bucks did a pretty good job of just keeping the ball in front, but the, the Saints did a nice job in the red zone, either scheming it or making big plays, and I think that was really a difference in the game there. That and, you know, when the Bucks got in the red zone, Jameis threw picks. So, that was it. 34-17. Saints over the Bucks. Let's go to some Jets-Redskins. Can you believe the Redskins also 34-17? Favored heading into this game? Dwayne Haskins-led Redskins team was favored going into this game. That, to me, was always the most ridiculous line of the week. Yes, the Redskins suck. And you know what happened? Sam Darnold just just stole all of the ginger talent this week. (laughs) Again. He did it last week as well. It wasn't Ryan Finley. It wasn't Carson Wentz. Yeah, we overlooked him for ginger. It's a weekly battle. Haskins, by the way, wasn't horrendous in this game. Um, chiefly because Terry McLaurin is really good and bailed him out of a couple That's of passes. That's why? I, that was certainly a big part of it to me. He just looks uncomfortable. So off. Yes, he does. So across the board, he does, which is why I think this has been a rough rookie season. But this game in particular, one of the things that I was most interested in seeing is how he was going to survive against the Greg Williams defense. Because as much crap as Greg Williams takes, he does some stuff that is clever and causes problems particularly for young quarterbacks. I think he does a lot of things that are aggressive and confusing, but if you're able to diagnose them, it leaves holes, right? And that's the problem is he runs up against good quarterbacks who have seen it, who understand what you're doing and they just pick it to pieces. And that's where the problems come in. Like, but against a young quarterback who's already struggling against what he sees on a conventional sense, it's like, it's effective. It's really problematic. The most interesting thing in this game to me is that the jets were using Jamal Adams the way you want to, you want Derwin James to be used as like a legitimate edge rusher in a, in a conventional front. I'm not talking about a safety that is just lurking around the line of scrimmage and blitzing off the edge. I'm talking, they were using him as an outside linebacker in a three, four front. Uh, People need to understand how rare that is. It's absurd Uh, because the name three, four outside linebacker. The name is linebacker. People assume that you could just actually take linebackers and put them out there. And this is why we created the edge defender, uh, you know, uh, position essentially at PFF. The three, four outside linebacker is a defensive end. I'm going to start drawing essentially. Keep going. All right. So he's a defensive end. And so for years, I remember telling people, you don't take, you don't, you don't like draft linebackers. If you're running a three, four, you actually need fewer linebackers because you only have two real linebackers in the middle you need edge defenders you need defensive end types so the idea of moving a linebacker to edge defender where they're rushing the passer very rare i mean like dante hightower does it for the patriots jamie collins a little bit but both of those guys actually had experience rushing the passer in college you don't just take linebackers and make them edge defenders ahmad brooks remember ahmad brooks yeah yeah. he's the only true linebacker that i remember that didn't really have edge rush experience that I know of mm-hmm. that eventually became an edge defender yeah. and rushed the passer. Cause you don't just teach people how to rush the passer. Right. So it's rare for linebackers to do this. It's even more rare for safeties to not become the, you know, the difference between blitzing and pass rushing. When you're pass rushing, you're just, you're going one-on-one 
when you're blitzing, you're, you're, you're scheming it up. You're kind of like isolating on a back. You're getting a free run at the quarterback. So Derwin James in college was a pure edge rusher. He actually went one-on-one against tackles and had some highlight reel plays. Jamal Adams, same type of skill set. I mean, those guys are, to me, one and one A as far as the do-it-all safeties in today's NFL. So the fact that Jamal Adams, what he rushed 13 times Mm -hmm. in a true edge rush role, extremely rare, and he had three sacks. So I think it was Jamal Adams last week where I'd seen them. I think they maybe did it once. And I was like, the team should, he, they should do that a lot. Like, it, not, not even them, but teams generally in obvious passing situations should think about using defensive backs or speed players to just park them on the edge and give tackles fits. Just get to the top because of the pocket as fast as you can. It's amazing. Yeah. So the Jets were doing it in a really interesting way, right? I love that you're using the board to draw it up for I'm our YouTube listeners. Draw it up on the board for all the viewers. people that are listening and therefore are not able to see it. What was happening is that the Jets were essentially lining up in a conventional. 4-3 under or over front, depending on where the strength on the offensive side was, right? So they have four down linemen, um, and you'll be, okay, this is simple 4-3. This is what we're dealing with here, right? And then Jamal Adams um, would start to work his way down, and suddenly now what was a 4-3 is now a 3-4 with him occupying the other outside linebacker spot. The two middle linebackers are, are conventional 3-4 inside linebackers now, and now you're like, oh, crap. This is suddenly a five-man front. I don't know where the blitz is coming from. Like, this is what 3-4 was designed to do in the first place, right? right. Like now, now I'm confused as to where the rushers are coming from. I don't know what's happening. And they would basically transform the defensive front by moving Adams around. And so we rushed the passer 13 times. Not all of them were in this sort of capacity. There was sort of four plays where he was just, you know, safety wandering around the place comes as an additional add-on blitzer, the way you expect a safety to rush. There were a couple where it's sort of, um, it's very debatable. So this is the thing with, with Greg Williams' pressure schemes is that there's a lot of stuff that's just weird, right? Players right. coming from multiple angles. There were a bunch of these plays where he would come and then there'd be another safety outside him coming as well. You know, so it's like a three, four. So look, you know you're getting a free rusher at that plus point. Plus the yeah. safety blitz on top of it from somebody else. So basically they were just using him really creatively and he was individually transforming the defensive front that the Jets were running, right? That's how sort of uh, multiple the scheme was that Jamal Adams moving into an edge rusher position was essentially completely changing the front. Now, can you imagine if you're Dwayne Haskins who's struggling to deal with like a regular looking front in terms of pressures and, and protection schemes, and now you're dealing with this? Like, it, what are you supposed? No game over, no chance. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to go watch the uh, the coaches film yet, but I want to go check out everything you're saying because that is that is entertaining you know and that is Haskins gets sacked six times that is part of the struggle with Adams had three of them yeah Adams had three of them that is part of the struggle with rookie quarterbacks and we said we we make the Greg Williams lol jokes because he has the safety playing way out here right you'd have to you know ceiling somewhere and we were in when he joins the Jets we said well we hope he doesn't have Jamal playing you know covering the parking lot instead he's using Jamal Adams in an incredible way so um, not a great season for the Jets, but you know, as you're rebuilding and you've got a superstar in Jamal Adams with such a versatile skill set to build around there, so that's entertaining. And then you get Sam Darnold on the other side, he went back, uh, roller coasters on the way back up, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not gone that high, not that high, but it's better, it's just not terrible anymore, statistically better. Yeah, it is f- so funny when you look at his grades, it all it's like always like steps, the steps are going up or the steps are going down. Like that's his that would look steps. Yeah. 
And then look at last year's. Somebody fell down the steps for that one. Look at this one. Down, up, down, up, down. Yeah, the Patriots game, they like fell all the way down the steps. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they completely fell off. Yeah. Like off of like a of like a roller coaster. They fell off the roller coaster. Well, the, yeah, the Patriots game would be like if you, you know, if you stepped off the landing into the space where the steps were supposed to be, but nobody had built them yet, and you just <sighs> fell a floor, that's what happened there. It's like my back porch right now, missing a step. Yeah, like I said, this is missing all the steps. So they just took a step, yeah. off, bam, you know, Looney Tunes style, just falls like a floor. Well, they fell through the stairs because they're invisible because they're ghosts. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Now you're taking it too far. Sam's... Sam's battling back nicely. They've gotten some really good contribution from Ryan Griffin, the tight end. Not Ryan Griffin, the quarterback. No. He's like quietly been a decent receiver this year. Yeah. You know, in the year, the year of the bad tight end. You know, what's also kind of incredible is with the general replaceability of running backs, the capacity for Bilal Powell to hang around and still be using games is amazing to me. Bilal Powell. Yeah. The idea that you can't replace a Bilal Powell in the third round every single year of the draft, and yet somehow he's still there, trucking along, getting snaps from Le'Veon. The, the Bilal Powell, yeah, he's been like a six-year backup, right? Yeah. But when, did, when, did he get, when did he get into the league? 2011. Way longer than that. There's got to be, we got to create an award for him. And he's actually had, so there was a run of what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven years where he's had 200 plus snaps. I think it's like every, every recent Jets running back is this like Isaiah Crowell, another guy, just kind of like, you know, get some snaps every now and again. Mm. There's got to be a, maybe that's what Jonathan Williams will eventually be for the Colts. He'll be sitting here four years from now. He just caught another 31 pass. pass. His durability. To just stick around and get snaps is incredible in yeah. a league where running backs have never been more disposable. We need a Bilal Powell award. We really do. All right. Let's move on to the Atlanta Falcons. 29. They didn't want to have 28 points. They had 29. Yeah. 28-3 would have been rough. Yeah. It's a three. Carolina Panthers. All right. The Atlanta 1985 Bear Falcons have now given up 12 points over the last two weeks. Yeah. So, unfortunately, the dead whale analogy has to be dead because they don't explode twice and they just did it. I told you they were more talented than a, than a dead beach whale. whale. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it turns out that might be true, um, which is unfortunate because I did enjoy that metaphor. Yeah. So, can the Falcons just run the table here? No. Oh. But what is interesting now is that they might have fixed a lot of the problems um, by just taking play calling out of Dan Quinn's hands. Yeah. What they've also done, which I didn't realize until yesterday, is. It's not one guy that's calling the plays now. They have somebody calling plays on first and second downs, and then they have a second person calling plays on third downs. Interesting. Isn't it? Um, and I, it, so I don't hate those, it. Right. It's one of those things that just on the face of it sounds kind of dumb, but it might actually not be. Did you, was it them that also had some sort of like red zone separate play calling last year with Steve Sarkeesian? That's possible. They may have had their own like little... I mean, I would almost certainly have people just dedicated to the red zone. It's so important. Everybody gets into the red zone at some point. And, and it's different. Like, it's it's markedly different to the point where... It is different. It, I mean, it does make sense to think about specializing there. And unless you're really watching closely, first and second down, you might not notice the difference between first and second down and then third down, but it really is completely different. I mean, teams, are, you're, you're drawing up basically like a basic base coverage here mm-hmm. on the board. 
and you see a lot of that in first and second down. Like, here's a straight-up defensive front, and here's what we're going to do, and there's some sort of run gap, you know, responsibilities. On third down, you see the crazy stuff. You see, all right, there's only two defensive linemen, and there's five guys in the gap standing up, and there's people moving around, and people do get so creative on third down. It's, it's, it's just completely different. You get specialized blitz packages. You get more disguised coverage. You just get different stuff on third down. So I don't hate it as a concept and it seems to be working it does it really does and so now we're seeing this idea of this defense is actually significantly more talented than it looked through the first half of the season which made sense because we've seen better play from them in the past um but guys like demonte casey is back playing decently ricardo allen Deion jones is still a really good linebacker this was another one of those games by the way where adrian claiborne's one move worked he absolutely, 10 pressures on 39 snaps. He absolutely wrecked Greg Little. Like there were plays where Greg Little again, I don't I don't understand how the guy has one move. Right? You watch tape heading into the week. How do you not how are you not able to neutralize it? Yeah, I don't know. Greg Little got the start at left tackle. He hadn't played since week 4. He had been he was an interesting eval coming out of Ole Miss. We had him as a second round type of prospect. That's where he went. Didn't have a ton of pure pass pro snaps, but it was one of those, you know, former five star had all the tools, size, blah, 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 blah. All that was good. This was a rough outing for him, though. Yeah, he's given up. What is that? 12, 14 total pressures, which has to be so close to a record. I haven't checked what the record is, but that's got to be threatening it's up there we'll see what happens when it's finalized matt parody still struggling up front kyle allen continues to regress back into an undrafted free agent yeah so we've gone from you know the panthers are moving on from cam newton kyle allen's got the rest of the season to prove he's the guy to (laughs) is it time to look and see if will greer can play yeah i mean the, the kyle allen thing's tough because last week he played in the snow and we're like look Take away two or three plays, which existed. Yeah. And it was a gutsy performance and he made some key plays and all that stuff, which is which is great. That was two weeks removed from a disastrous outing against the 49ers. And it's like, well, they've got a really good defense. They're doing this to everybody. And then even earlier in the season in wins against the Texans and the Jaguars, things weren't that great by PFF grade standpoints, despite the despite the stats. This was another one of those just poor all around games where he wasn't bailed out by anyone right so it was bad if you look at his grades he basically hasn't hit the heights of that first start again since yeah um and it's not to say he hasn't done good things in those games almost every single game you see a couple of dimes from kyle allen or some really nice accurate passes dropped in in particular like the throw that comes to my mind when i think of what kyle allen's doing is that cover two shot into the the hole down the sideline between the corner and the safety yeah he's hit a lot of those um, and those are said, really I, nice, I, pretty passes. And I see intermediate throws over the middle where he's been real accurate, right. like the dig. I mean, he hits NFL type throws, but there's a lot of bad in there as well. Yeah. And at some point, like this is a legitimate whatever, whoever the quarterback is going forward for Carolina. It does seem like it's probably not going to be Cam Newton, at which point you need to find out if any of the guys on your roster have the ability to take that job. Now, it's starting to look less and less like Kyle Allen does. He, by the way, has 19 turnover-worthy plays, which is one behind Jared Goff, so tied for fourth. Um, And he didn't start the first couple games. Yeah. So it's starting to look like Kyle Allen doesn't have that, or at least needs to take significant steps forward in cutting out those bad plays for that to happen. I'm just saying it might be worth looking at Will Greer. 
Now, Will Greer's played like crap so far in preseason. He looked really bad. Looked preseason. horrendous at the Senior Bowl. Like, there's a lot of basically ever since he stopped playing at West Virginia, he's looked terrible. Yeah. Um. So I'm not saying that's the answer or anything, but I'm saying this team, this team is doing nothing for the rest of the season beyond finding out what their quarterback situation looks like next year and beyond. And Will Greer would appear to be a relevant part of that, given where you drafted. I'm going to ask you again about the Falcons. Okay. What are you asking me? Can they run the table? No. Listen. Bucks. Yeah. Saints at home. No. Who they just beat? They're not Pan- playing twice against the Saints. Panthers at home. Okay. At 49ers. Okay. So no. Tough one. And then Jaguars at home. Bucks on the road. Yeah. So I mean, two games against the Bucks. They got some winnable games in there, but they're not winning all of them. If they could pull it off, oh, God. they'd go from one and seven to nine and seven, mm-hmm. which still won't get them anywhere near the playoffs. I think they could at least be an eight and eight team. And that, and then that just feels like, Hey, you underachieved by like one or two games this year. And that's it. Yeah. But right now the Vikings occupy a wild card spot at what? Eight and three. Yeah. So if yeah, they win all of their remaining games, they're still nowhere near the playoff hunt. Yeah. They're in trouble. Yeah. I mean, they've, they were in trouble a while ago. Too yeah, little, too late, but impressive. Trouble, in fact, impressive turnaround the last couple of weeks. To the point where they were characterized as a dead whale by some people. Hey, you were right for one week. I know. It was a beautiful analogy. Well, it was really nice. Good job. All right, let's move on to what was supposed to be the game of the week. Huh. Yeah. Baltimore Ravens 41, Houston Texans 7. The Ravens just continue to dominate in all phases. Including the officials. Yeah, that didn't. This was that didn't help. Ironically, it wasn't even the most egregious pass interference call of yesterday. Let's talk about the game first before we get into the <laughs> play calls. Okay. God, I just hate talking about the refs. Uh huh. Pass interference is quite a uh, talking point of this year's NFL, though. I know. And you know, Nuke got tackled. Yeah, on fourth and two in the end zone. Mm. I mean, I let's talk about it. I hate so like the Eagles first play of the game. Carson Wentz throws a jump ball and he gets a 50 yard yeah. pass interference, which uh-huh. essentially leads to a score. First off, the spot foul and pass interference sometimes is just crazy. Sometimes the thing I love about the PFF system is that we will separate that and say, look, that's just bad defense. That's not a great throw. There are some. Very smart football people out there that want nothing more than to analyze quarterbacks in a better, smarter way. And, they, and, they're, and they're like, look, sacks, sacks aren't part of passer rating. We need to roll that into stuff. And rushing isn't a part of passer rating. We need to roll that into stuff. And those same smart people, and they're right about a lot of that stuff. Like that needs to be accounted for. Those same smart people are just like, pass interference. Give it to the quarterback. They, they want to give the quarterback credit. So there are systems out there, QBR in, in, included, that give you credit for a 50-yard pass interference. For the quarterback, they give you credit for that. When we would only give you credit if you throw you throw like a dime, yeah. it's going to be caught and you get interfered with. The Flacco, the underthrow where the corner runs into the receiver and it's not even a good throw, like Flacco doesn't deserve 40 yards of credit for that. So that was... So this play, half of all deep passes that turn into pass interference are not only not good throws, are actively bad throws. Or, but like the idea of like, I'm going to give my guy a shot 
is fine. Yeah. Right. Like that's, that's not what we're talking about. But we keep but like talking about Deshaun Watson it. gave the guy's open by five yards. You missed it. He's under thrown. So he has to come back and get it. And the DB trying desperately to get was, back in the play. Just that was the Wentz play in particular. But I'm more talking about like, you know, it's tight coverage. You throw what you're calling a 50 50 jump on. It's really a 20 80 ball that becomes pass interference a little bit, too. I mean, the expected result there is an incompletion. And it's a luck if it becomes a pass interference. So the idea that quarterback evaluation would hinge upon not only the referee's call, but essentially how poorly the cornerback plays it versus how how well the receiver plays it, I think is absurd. And then you get into just this is affecting football games here. So you get a 50-yard pass interference that completely flips the field, or you get one on fourth and two where DeAndre Hopkins is tackled and it's not called and it's reviewed and that is in this game where the Ravens killed the Texans. Obviously, that's still a huge game or a huge play early that would have kept Houston in the game. This was amazing because, I mean, it was pretty egregious. Like he he gets tackled. The guy like it was it Marlon Marlon Humphrey. So Marlon Humphrey was like draped all over him, has a left arm pulling him back. New is literally prevented from getting to the ball. It gets there early. Now it's close. Yeah. Like it's relatively bang bang, but it was obvious live, and then they reviewed it, and it was even more <laughs> obvious on tape. That's like if you can't find pass interference from this, having taken the time to look at it again and review, then we're all wasting our time here. Like this is absurd. It could not be much more clear than that. Like if this is where the line is, it's a waste of everybody's time because this is not pass interference. Like or it's like it's not, this is not finding pass interference is what I'm saying. Bill O'Brien came out afterwards and was like, I don't know what pass interference is anymore. Like if, if that isn't it, I, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what the rule is anymore. And he's not alone. Like I, th- they are calling pass interference right now in a way that nobody has any freaking idea what the rule is yeah. because it's not being applied uniformly across the NFL. They're finding stuff that clearly shouldn't be pass interference. They're turning it into pass interference, particularly on the offense for some reason. So we seem to have very little interest in finding legitimate defensive pass interference, i.e. nuke his tackle before he can catch a ball in the end zone for a touchdown. And we seem to be finding offensive pass interference left, right, and center as if that's been a giant plague on the game for a while. Um, and as I say, so this one was horrendous, and this one was not the most egregious call of the weekend, which came in the 49ers-Cardinals game, where perfect coverage by a linebacker, where he was he gets tackled. With. Yeah, so he blocks off his guy, is now looking for the ball, having basically bodied him out of the play. Guy's like jumping over the back of him to try and make the play, and the linebacker gets flagged for pass for off uh, for defensive pass. Yeah, that one was ridiculous. That I think is the most ridiculous call I've ever seen this season. That particular call, I had stepped away for a second. And my wife looked at me and she goes, "Are you allowed to do that?" Like she was like, "They just called defensive pass interference." Like my yeah, you know that was Kelly. Right up Kelly there. noticed right away. That's bad. That was right up there with the Laquan Treadwell one a couple of weeks ago, where he like ran into a guy. Yeah, he was basically blocked in terms of illegal contact and was flagged for offensive pass interference. So it still comes back to what we were talking about last week, right? When we grade stuff at PFF, we get to, we get in these groups and there's a lot of like, Hey, let's discuss this play. Here's the play. It's a deep ball. This is this. And, and we call on our memory banks and say, okay, this almost identical play was graded like this. This almost identical play was graded like this. The referees have a very similar job, right? There's a level of subjectivity with a rubric, right? That's how we grade. 
No, it's a fancy word. Yeah. So we've got these guidelines on how we grade, right? When you see this, it equals this. When you see this, it equals that. Give or take. And then there's always context that needs to be applied. That's essentially how referees call plays. Now, in real time, I acknowledge how difficult this job is. This is really tough. Mm, that's why replays there. Listen, I, I'm going to make mistakes. I was a third grade basketball referee and you miss stuff. Mm-hmm. I understand. Yeah. Did I relate everything to me properly? Yeah, well done. Okay, I, good. Yeah, I graded. I coached uh, under 11s rugby. So I, I can relate. See? We have to officiate yeah. games. It's a nightmare. Me and my best friend, the third game we ever had to referee. I mean, we signed up to do like literally third and fourth grade basketball. Yeah. They threw us into like an eighth grade traveling team. I mean, that game is fat. Eighth graders, they're moving fast. Mm. And the parents really want to win. Yes. This is the third game we'd ever done. We're very inexperienced. It was... It was ugly. So anyway, I understand how difficult NFL. So like in real time, I understand. That's yeah. That's why replay is there, right? But you're that's, gonna make mistakes. You're going to miss things. Of course, that's, that's what I'm saying. That's I, the game. Are they working hard enough? Because again, I feel, I take so much pride in how we grade because we sit there and we watch and rewatch and discuss, get a bunch of people's opinion and come to a consensus. And we say this looks like this looks like this. Those are plus ones, right? Is the NFL doing a good enough job that when it gets to replay? They're saying, hey, this nuke play looks exactly like this other one and this other one and this other one. And like 95% of the time we're calling this pass interference. Therefore, this needs to be. Or is it like, well, it's fourth down. Well, it's 50 yards instead of five yards. Well, it's, it's at the end of the game. So we're going to do it differently than if it's the first quarter. Are they really putting the time and effort into making sure that the same plays have the same outcomes, give or take, in this imperfect in this imperfect world, you have to get it as close as you can. Yeah, I don't think the consistency is there. I don't even think just the logical getting these things right in isolation is there. Like I say, this one was not tri- this one was not difficult. Um, this one was obvious real time. Okay, fine. Let's say you missed it. Things happen. Maybe you, you know had a bad view. Whatever. That's what replay is there for. We take a look at this at replay. Oh yeah, turns out it's really clear on replay as well. Yeah, and somehow it still stands. Like if this doesn't pass whatever line or threshold you have it's broken um so after this maybe it was after this one or maybe it was after the cardinals one i tweeted that if the nfc championship game saints rams defensive pass interference went uncalled today right the one that started this whole thing if that went uncalled and we then challenged slash reviewed it would they even overturn 50 50 at the moment the i posted a poll on twitter right the poll has 29% saying, yes, the situation isn't that bad. 71% say, God, no, I don't even know what pass interference is anymore. That's how broken the system is right now. That 71% of people don't even think they would fix the call that they put this rule in place to fix. I mean, more realistically, it's like the NFL put this rule in and said, the only one we're going to overturn is that one yeah. where a guy is literally tackled. Anything short of that. Yes. Don't any any little bit of contact or half tackles doesn't count. <laughs> like only it's got to be a full on. You tackled this dude before the ball got there. And like two seconds before the ball got there. Yeah. You have to tackle him a couple of seconds before the ball arrives. Otherwise, we're not interested. Yeah. Anyway, so that was egregious. Um, but also the Ravens pretty much stomped the Texans. Ravens are great. Just from a Texan standpoint, we, you know, we kept talking. Deshaun Watson had one of those disastrous games again, right? We've talked about his games under 60, under 50 PFF grade. And I, I think my criticism of Watson is always when he plays hero ball. But it's also the same thing that creates hero plays. I mean, we know about Deshaun Watson as an MVP candidate because he's breaking free from sacks. He's extending plays. 
that came back to bite him in two really bad ways in this game. He had two, you know, of the worst turnovers you'll see. One, he had over nine seconds dancing around the pocket, ends up fumbling. Yeah. And then he had a play that was actually, he did this at Clemson in a game that they lost to Pittsburgh, which they never never should have lost. He kind of just threw back across his body to, you know, a defensive lineman or a linebacker. So just a really bad interception. His hero plays were not there. And I mean, that was, that was essentially the Texans offense right there. They're not efficient enough play to play that when he tries to play hero ball, they're negative plays instead of positive plays. Yeah, I mean, they, they obviously they didn't get helped out earlier by that pass interference call, but he made some pretty horrendous plays that got them into trouble early that they weren't able to dig themselves out of, or he in particular wasn't able to dig himself out of. Um, and then, of course, you have the flip side of that, which is that they couldn't stop the Baltimore Ravens offense right. either. So this game got away from them in a hurry, which obviously puts you in an ugly position as well. And the whole thing just kind of fell to pieces. We mentioned you know, a guy like Zach Cunningham would be key in the middle of the field. And he had an up. Like he got a, he was around the ball. He had seven defensive stops. But when it came to making plays in coverage, he got whooped a couple times by Mark Ingram, just you know, lost in space a couple times. The, the, the Texans needed either a great performance from their defensive line, essentially their front seven playing well to kind of protect their back seven, their front seven to protect their secondary. And uh, they were not getting that at all. The Ravens dominated up front with the offensive line again. Yeah. The, so the Ravens offense has developed into something pretty scary at this point. Um, you know, so last year it was interesting because obviously it was the first half dozen games, first half a season of this Lamar Jackson um, led offense. And there was always this idea of, well, sure, but what happens next year when everybody has tape on this system and we understand how to defend it? Um, and we saw, do you remember way back in the playoffs, we saw the Chargers, or was it week 17? Um, in the playoffs, the Chargers beat them in the wild card round. Okay, yeah, so it was some nice playoff things. game, the Chargers, and they, they stopped this system by basically playing a bunch of safeties at the second level instead of big, slow defenders, right? right. They, they went run defense heavy, with lighter bodies, which was this revolutionary plan to stop this offense. Now, weirdly, they then used the same plan to play the Patriots and just got blitzed off the field. But um, but that, in theory, was that is as close as we've had to this point of having a blueprint in how to actually stop this offense, right? Is you essentially, you sell out against the run, but you do it using faster defenders so that they can actually have a shot of tackling Lamar Jackson in space as opposed to big lumbering linebackers that just don't have a prayer. Um, and I, we haven't really seen anybody be able to replicate that um, yet, which is, I think, concerning because the Texans uh, went about as close as you're going to see anybody to doing that. And it really didn't work. Like, yeah, badly didn't work. And this is because Lamar Jackson has taken his game on to different levels. And now even if you do slow right. down the run game, he's able to take advantage of the passing plays that, that opens up, hit Mark Andrews over the middle for touchdowns. Now you have multiple problems to deal with. You don't have to just worry about a fast guy around the edge. You have to worry about what happens if you if you sell out to stop that. Yeah, Lamar had, and this just this shows how dominant the Ravens offense is overall. Lamar did miss a bunch of throws early on. Then he comes in, you know, cuz early on he he had some open guys that he missed. He has a real, real you know, decent touchdown, has a really nice touchdown to Mark Andrews and then a couple of freebies. I mean, we talk about pass interference. One of his 
wide open in the flat. The receiver just sprinted directly at Benadric McKinney in the middle and just set like an NBA pick on him, like five yards down the field. And that opened up, you know, wide open pass in the flat. But I think what's making the Ravens difficult is it's not all just run game trickeration. Lamar can also go five wide and they run, you know, some regular pass concepts. They run in mesh and return. I mean, and he's finding open guys for the most part, uh, much more accurately than he did last year. And then you have a play where he reels off another 47, 48 yard run that should have been a loss of one. Right. So that was the thing. Like, that's not the surprising part, right? Like we expected that stuff to happen, the, the freakish runs and all that stuff. But when he's making a higher percentage of big time throws up the seam and being able to just work the quick game every now and again, they can't actually, even though he missed a few throws, they can't beat. He had, it was a lot more good than bad from Lamar yesterday and they can actually beat you kind of multiple ways. Yeah, I mean, I think their, their offense has now reached that point where there is no longer an easy game. There's no longer an obvious blueprint to stop them. Yeah. Right? Now, whether you can, there's obviously, there's a difference all the time between understanding what the game plan is to attack somebody and actually working with it, right? Yeah. There, you know, there, there's a bunch of quarterbacks out there where you may lose with that game plan, but you at least understand what the way of beating them is. There's Lamar Jackson, I think, has now entered that that pantheon of quarterbacks like Mahomes, um, where I don't know what the game plan is. What yeah. do you, what are you supposed to do to come into a game against this Baltimore Ravens offense and stop them? I don't think now that the Chargers plan from a year ago would work. I yeah, think they've moved on too much for that to still work. Week one, when they whooped the Dolphins and it was like, oh, the Dolphins are terrible. I think the Dolphins all offseason were like, all right, we're just going to make Lamar beat us deep. Yeah, we're just going to we're going to play with no safeties. We're just I can do that now. Whatever. And so I don't I don't know. The Dolphins aren't great, obviously. But I think a lot of it was like they had this really one sided game plan to take away the run game. And Lamar started hitting throws. And if he starts hitting throws the way uh, at that higher, you know, higher of a percentage than he did last year, that's what makes him tough. And that's what he's been doing. And then, oh, by the way, they're killing you mathematically in the box. Yeah. So another dominant performance. The defense, though, man, they're tearing it up now, too. Yeah. I mean, as far as just what they're doing on the back end and everything with those guys. They've developed now into maybe the best team in the NFL. Um, All the things that were weaknesses earlier in the season have been fixed. Like, you know, you bring in a guy like Marcus Peters and now you have a stacked secondary and you've got enough quality around him that he can kind of get away with doing some of the freelancing stuff. Whereas when you're the number one corner getting targeted relentlessly, that can become a problem sometimes. And I, I can't wait to go back and look at this because we said before the season, loaded secondary, questionable pass rush. Matthew Judon has stepped up in recent weeks, getting after the quarterback. Uh, will they will they piece together? You know, Tyus Bowser had two sacks. Not that he was great, but... Um, you know, have, will, have they pieced together enough pass rush that this, you know, is a viable formula build from the back to the front. And then you scheme it up with the Tyus Bowser's and Matthew Judon's and other guys up front, get just enough, but make sure you're covering well. And, yeah. you know, that's why Watson's holding the ball long and not, not finding anywhere to throw and making mistakes. I think pass rush is still potentially a concern. Um, they were, I mean, they're helped out. It wasn't in this game because a, Watson has a tendency sometimes to cause too much of his own pressure. Sure. The Texans offensive line is still not great. So those two things put together, you're able to look like you have a much better pass rush than you actually have. 
Um, I think there can be, there will be concerns when this Ravens team faces an offense that can put up points and can pass the ball well, and that they're just not able to disrupt that enough. They may be good on the back end, but the lack of pass rush at some point could be a problem. Having said that, I don't know if it's going to be a problem until they hit the playoffs. If you look at their remaining schedule, we've got the Rams struggling, the 49ers, yeah, sure, but that's not really that kind of team, Buffalo, the Jets, the Browns, and the Steelers. So they're going to get to the end of the season without facing another legit high-octane passing offense that doesn't have to worry about pass rush. The 49ers one will be interesting. Yeah, but even, you know, it's not that kind of game, right? The 49ers don't play it that kind of way. But it may be, you know, until they face, like, the Chiefs in the playoffs, say, until we even see that yeah. manifest itself, at which point we're not going to know how it's I mean, going to go. They handled Russell Wilson and the Seahawks pretty well. Yeah. So 41 to 7, Ravens over the Texans. Speaking of the 49ers, they win 36 26. I think it was a 10 point spread in that crazy play at the end. Uh, yikes. That made a lot of people unhappy. A lot of people unhappy. That's bad. Um, with particularly, I mean, uh, it was, but that was one of the worst, like, last gasp you know it was ridiculous looking lateral desperate desperation plays i've ever seen in my life and it was the second time they attempted it because it was was a a penalty on the first one they had to redo it or whatever it was yeah but like they ran it the first time it was a disaster and then they ran it a second time it was as bad and then made even worse by whoever it was sweezy diving into a pile flinging the ball back into the end zone for a touchdown but i understand that's not a play you practice a particular you know, amount of time, this whole, we've got no seconds left on the clock and we need to go 80 yards. Let's just heave it around. But it feels like the very start should at least have some semblance of structure to it. Right. right. As opposed to just, okay, there's Larry Fitz. He, I can hit him for a seven yard pass. And now he doesn't have anywhere to go with the ball because everyone else ran ahead. Yeah, you'd have to like what the, I mean, and the first one was even worse. The first one, they actually threw it to the one guy that was covered. There's like seven people, you know, like <laughs> everybody's out in a pass pattern and you throw it to the only guy that had anybody on him for the first 10 yards. Like that was sort of failing from the outset. Um, there apparently have only been, it's only happened twice this season that a quarterback has passed for a pass rating of a hundred on this 49ers defense. And it's been Kyler Murray both times. Yeah. Despite averaging 4.5 yards per attempt, yeah. by the way. Yeah, I mean, for a guy that averaged 4.5 yards per attempt and 150 passing yards, he still continues to impress. 67 scampering yards on yes. the ground. You know, we talk about the... We, we joke about how rushing... You know, running the ball doesn't matter. QB rushing is extremely valuable, and when it's a part of the design run game, it is extremely valuable. And if you do it like the Ravens do... Excellent. Mm. When we talked about Kyler coming out, he's not re- he's not Lamar with the ball in his hands, but he has that type of dynamic ability to grab 30, 40, 50 rushing yards per game. So it just it gives you leeway with your passing attack. And even Josh Allen in Buffalo, the, the ability on the ground and what Trubisky did last year, it gives you leeway when you're not as efficient throwing the ball through the air. Yeah, I mean, to an extent, it's it's offsetting some of the plays that some of these other quarterbacks, you know, are making that you're not. Yeah. Like, you're not making it through the air, but, you know, Tom Brady's not picking up 67 yards in the ground either. So right. it's it's yardage Tom Brady isn't getting, but might be getting through the air. It, it, it is something you need to factor in and, you know, offset some of the differences between some of these guys and other 
passing quarterbacks. So yeah, it's definitely a factor. Um, this was an intriguing game because the for some reason Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't see linebackers. Yeah, what's his deal? I don't know. Um, he seems played to, a pretty good game. Other than that, he did, which is amazing. And somebody else pointed out that he has a habit of every time he makes one of those absurd, terrible decisions, he goes on a run like immediately after it, where he's flawless. He's got that amnesia. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. Or maybe I guess like annoyed at the fact that he didn't see the linebacker and just goes out there to fix it. But whatever it is, every time he throws the ball directly to a defender, he typically goes on an absurd run right after it. To, that's like the best high end Jimmy G play you'll see. I know. I know Tua's career could be in jeopardy. We'll see what happens. But Tua really does remind me of Jimmy G a ton because there are so many plays where it's like, wow, look how quick minded he is. I mean, think about it. he's got a quick release. He makes so many plays where the defender's like right here. And he'll just flip it right around him with his, you know, arm angle, quick release. He does so many good things, quick minded, go through the progressions. And then other times he just sits there and he looks like he has no clue what he's seeing. And he'll either take a sack or, like you said, throw it to a linebacker. Tua kind of has that too, where it's like, wow, passing instincts, instincts, great. Okay, what was that? Like, Jimmy, that's been Jimmy's season. Why doesn't he see linebackers? Tony Romo used to have this as well, where he was almost always picked off by the underneath linebacker. Like, I don't know. That's Romo just... was rarely picked off by the actual corner, the guy that was covering the person he was targeting. He was picked off by the guy he never saw underneath who was just in the throwing lane the whole way. Like, do certain quarterbacks just tune out that first level as noise? You know, along with the like the offensive line, you're vaguely aware of it, but you figure it's not actually I'm not sure relevant what it, to your play. There are definitely certain quarterbacks. You just don't. Like, Aaron Rodgers almost never does that breeze doesn't do that a whole right. lot brady doesn't do that like when they throw turnover worthy plays they're just of different mm-hmm. style right um i mean that was lamar jackson's issue in in college he would have a random blind so, and he's not doing that right now either perhaps you know because they're doing a good job scheming it up and taking you know those yeah those uh, reads away from him right and, and clearing the middle just a little bit but there are certain quarterbacks where you write notes it's like when he's throwing turnover worthy plays it's an underneath linebacker issue, not so much an act, you know, because there's inaccurate passes, there's short passes where a guy has a chance to make a pick, but just, just right. like a blatant misread of coverage um, has been pretty common for Jimmy G this year. Yeah, and there's a difference between ones where, you know, you just didn't think he would get there, and the guy, like, the guy breaks on the ball, he's coming, you knew he was there, right, but he's coming from a place you didn't think he was going to get there. Yeah, or it's like a early. calculated... Right, yeah. he's been able to read what you're doing and a set off early enough to get in front of where you're passing it. But these are plays where you just didn't see the guy. Yeah. You had no earthly idea that linebacker was between where you are and where you wanted to go with the ball, and you threw the ball right to him. There's certain quarterbacks that for some reason have a real habit of not seeing those guys. And I don't know why that is, but it's I think Jimmy G is one of those quarterbacks. Yeah, so like I said, pretty pretty good game for him. Otherwise, that was that was bad though. Uh but the offensive line got beat up yeah. by the Niners. The the Cardinals have this it's not every week, but the defensive front will just kind of get after it every now and again. Guys like Chandler Jones. It does help when you're going up against, you know, Justin School. Yeah. The left tackle. Uh, but he had shown some promise here and there. Yeah, but he's going up against really. Chandler Jones, who's good. You know? Yeah. Um, Chandler Jones is one of those high-end guys that is like peak beats the crap out of bad tackles. Yeah. You know? Um, I think it's this. I'm. There's a lot to like about this Cardinals team now. Probably not for this year, but more for next year, particularly if they can actually build on some of the weak spots, get some offensive linemen in the building, that kind of thing. 
But what they're able to do with an offense that clearly is not yet where it needs to be in terms of, you know, scheme, what it's doing, even personnel. Like the, there's a lot of guys there that need to step up. Christian Kirk dropped a clanger at one point. Yeah. Um, but they've been able to be competitive in these games. You know, they, they're giving the 49ers a run and they really shouldn't be able to. So it, I'm just I'm kind of excited for this for, for this Cardinals team in the future more in 2020 than 2019. Yeah, I think a lot of people agree with you. I think I think a lot of people are on that same page. I think coming into the season, I think, what did you want to see? Kyler, are you comfortable? Do you not look overwhelmed by the NFL game? It's not perfect, but sure. I think he's in a really good spot. Debo had a monster game. But Debo did have a monster game, including a catch that I didn't even understand how he caught it on first run. Like I, it was one of those ones where you needed to see the replay to find out how it even ended up in his hands. He's such a good, he's a good player, man. He's just got some, I, we don't, we, we are all about production here at PFF, but there's something to just general tenacity, toughness. Like, I don't know what you want to call it, but like if I was doing, if I was doing traits based scouting, for receivers that would be up there because I, I'm always wondering like what what is separating this guy these slot receivers who all look like Wes Welker right like there's there's a million of them around college football now but like what's the difference there's some sort of toughness competitiveness the Steve Smith factor these guys are going to play above their size these guys are going to create yards after the catch whatever whatever that is Debo always felt like he had it yeah. on film, and I think that's translating extremely well for the Niners. He also wrecked people at the Senior Bowl that week, which I'm always a fan of as a trait. Um, yeah, this was a career, bowl wins. career high in targets for the Russian pencil, um, who responded with one catch for six yards. Yeah, not ideal. That's Andy is But he's not the Russian not. pencil. He's the other guy. He's the pen. He's the pen. Because you said he does too much other stuff, right? The pencil is the simple thing. True. But the pencil's like kill Harry can't do anything, right? But calling him the pen is that's a worse name. Right. Russian pencil, India, India as You're well. Right. It's not the clean. It's yeah. It's it's not clean because yeah. Technically, the Russian pencil is the cautionary tale, not the actual thing. But you can't call him just the pen. Just, just stick with the biro. No, you're you're perfect. Um, the Niners play the Packers next week on Sunday Night yeah. Football. Chris and the crew is excited about that matchup. Should be a good one. Rightly so. Raiders 17, mm. Bengals 10. Yeah. I thought the Raiders would score a few more points against the Bengals. Defense hung tough. This ended up as like a 13 and a half point spread before the game. That was kind of insane. Yeah. I mean, the Raiders aren't that good, but the Bengals really suck. Um, we were just talking about the Raiders. Yeah. But there was always this. I mean, they still, right? Given that this game is gone, they haven't beaten anybody by more than a score yet. No. They they also we talked they're not that loved by the ELO rankings. You know, the the data driven mm -hmm. power rankings of how good teams actually are does not really like the Raiders. Um, and this game won't help because they did not grade particularly well yes. against a defense that was terrible. Yes. Coming really in bad. The uh, Bengals defensive front graded extremely well against this um this Raiders offensive line. And I know Josh Jacobs runs for 112 uh, on 23 carries, 81 of which came after contact. So it's again, again, about two yards before contact. It's not like it's anything special up front. You have Josh Jacobs creating 81 after contact, seven force missed tackles did have a fumble in there, but other than that ran pretty hard. People are questioning our O-line rankings because the Raiders are running the ball well and Derek Carr is not getting sacked, but again, sacks are not really on the O-line for sure. 
And while rushing yards are more O-line driven than running back driven, if you do have the running back that has the highest yards after contact per rush, then he's going above and beyond what's been given to him. This was an example of, of that type of game. Yeah. Um, and they've been getting the ball out of Derek Carr's hands quickly. Oh, yeah. Like they have been 2. 3. this offensive line to a degree. Um, plus, Josh, yeah, th- this is not one of the best offensive lines in the NFL, even though there, there are numbers that would suggest that's the problem with offensive line numbers is that they're not actually offensive line numbers. They are numbers that people interpret as being offensive line numbers because there aren't any other numbers. Right. But they're not. Right. So you can't just look at an offensive production and say, well, that offensive line is clearly great. Yeah. Like I, said, I don't want to confuse people because like we said, the the run blocking is a bigger factor than the actual runner when it comes to rushing yards. But there are certain instances we've seen this year. Dalvin Cook outrunning the run blocking, essentially. Josh Jacobs has outrun the run yeah. blocking. There, there are Oakland. ways there are going to be ways to quantify um quality of offensive line yeah not so much offense but overall blocking in the run game but you're not going to be able to do it with yards per carry no no that's not the way you're going to achieve that or total yards definitely not total yards similarly there are going to be ways where you can quantify the ability or the the production from an offensive line from a pass blocking standpoint um statistically but again it's not just going to be how many times a quarterback was sacked there's, you know, it, there's more factors at play than that. So those two numbers might be all you're, you you have to deal with, but they are completely insufficient for actually determining how well an offensive line is playing or not. That's why PFF grades exist, and we go through and grade everybody play by play because that's basically the only way you're going to achieve that. So Derek Carr continues to play very efficient football, 25 of 29 for over 290 passing yards. And the other side, Ryan Finley goes 13 of 31 for 115. Passer rating of 39, Sam. The other thing that happened in this game that went entirely to script is that the Bengals offensive line is bad enough that it made some of the Raiders defense look like superstar pass rush. Something had to give here. This time it was Max Crosby who had four sacks, I think. Um, weirdly, Cleveland Furl. Um, just be Furl. I mean, it should be, but apparently isn't. So Furl had one solitary hurry against John Jerry at left tackle. Now you could get one solitary hurry over a game against John Jerry at left tackle. I probably could get one. Yeah. This I was good life. like, do you remember it was the charges, right? A couple of weeks ago where he beat like Sam Tevy's backup to the tune of three sacks. And I was mm-hmm. like, ha, ah, see Raiders draft him in the first round. He looks like a superstar pass rusher. It's like, yeah, against Sam Tevy's backup. Like if he couldn't achieve that against Sam Tevy's backup, we would have some pretty major problems. This falls under the category of we have some pretty major problems. If you can't get more than one hurry against John Jerry, what are you doing? Being a rookie, just being a good, solid rookie. That's what he is. I don't think we appreciate how bad John Jerry at left tackle is. He had a batted pass. He's got five now. John Jerry was a a below average guard who's now asked to play left tackle because everybody else is hurt. Like, this is as bad as it gets in terms of starting left tackles. And Furl wasn't able to beat him for more than a hurry. I'm aware. That's a problem. That's really not good. Yeah, Josh Allen would have been nice there. Um, nice job by Max Crosby. Maurice Hurst has had a pretty good few weeks as well. Hurst looks so comically small, by the way. Yeah. Bengals Bengals don't block well. I think it was one of Max Crosby's sacks, and Maurice Hurst was like the first guy there to congratulate him, right? And they'd like, (laughs) 
how can you be a defensive tackle? Like that guy's a defensive end. He looks twice your size. This is what I was saying. Remember when I said that like I'm pretty sure half of uh half of Rashawn Gary's draft stock was because he stood next to Maurice Hurst for like yeah, a couple just of looked, years. Looks like he looked a like a monster. Yeah. That like this is the same thing with Max Crosby. It's like guy looks like looks, looks like a beast. It's because Maurice Hurst looks like a small child. So the Raiders win seventeen to ten. Yeah. They're set up to go seven and four against the Jets next week. I don't think the Jets game is going to be a cakewalk. No, I, it'll be a good battle. They are going to set themselves up to be going against the Chiefs in that second game, a game back potentially. I mean, the Jets could beat the Raiders next week, though. They could. I don't think they will. They could. I mean, anything could happen to see it's football any given Sunday, as they say. That's right. So that game. Wow, there's a lot of similar scores. Yeah, that game was seventeen to ten. The Patriots beat the Eagles seventeen to ten. And then the Bucks, Saints, and Jets, Redskins games were both thirty-four to seventeen. Yeah, how about that? Hmm. Anyway, New England seventeen, Eagles ten. In uh, was a good defense or bad offense? Both on both sides. Both. Um, the Patriots' offense is really not good. Yeah, and yet the Eagles' defense or the Eagles' offense was able to play badly enough that they were able to win anyway. So the Patriots' defense is still good. Let's not forget it is good based off of one week. Having said that, this is the second game-winning touchdown that Nelson Aguilar has dropped this season. That was a pretty play. That was just a fascinating turn. That whole drive, the final drive, Carson Wentz makes a big throw to kind of get yeah. them off the goal line. Misses two easy throws yeah. by a mile. That's him. And then in New, it, this was it, the play calling was, was I told you it was fascinating. Like New England was playing cover two, cover two. So they're just just playing zone. Hey, find this. Um, this was a couple of the game winning drive opportunities. Cover two, cover two. And then they go zero blitz. And Romo called it out. Yeah, they love, they love going zero blitz in this. And with the zero blitz, that's when the quarterback can kind of retreat a little bit. And you essentially have to throw that deep crosser that that they threw to Aguilar. It's like the deep over route. It's one-on-one coverage. You drop it into a spot where he could go get it. And Wentz put it in a really good spot. That was awesome. Yeah. And it was Aguilar so, didn't really it was track it the easiest well. adjustment in the world, but it was because he left it so late to actually adjust that he ended up having to like swing all the way back outside over his shoulder. And like he, the tough part he about all those it into a nightmare of an adjustment. Here's the tough part about all those, you know, drawing. On on a when you have like a deep over route, you can take it any which way. Like you could take it a little bit more like a post. You could take it more across the field. That takes so much practice and precision. So if if Wentz throws it a little bit more toward the post, and Aguilar is taking it a little bit more like you know toward the pylon or toward the back pylon, all of a sudden it does look like he's got to make a yeah a Willie Mays catch. It just takes most people so are, much. Yeah, and most people are taught when they run those routes to make it as shallow as possible in terms of the post because it's easier to it's easier to adjust more uh laterally acute no the opposite of an acute angle obtuse it's easier easier to adjust more that way than it is to do what Aguilar tried to do which is adjust back to the acute angle and end up tying yourself in knots what was what's weird is that he used to be good at that stuff at USC like yeah. that was one thing I didn't really have, have any concerns about was his ability to track a deep ball and adjust well. But that's like that's all right, it wasn't game winning, I guess, because, you know, I, you would assume they would have had to go for two to win the game. But, you know, game tying slash winning slash not losing. That's the second one of those touchdowns that Aguilar has dropped this season. And it's not even they've had more than that. Um, 
this was, yeah, this, the other thing that was weird about this game was there was a play in there where Edelman practically mugged a defender to avoid, to break up a pass, right? To stop it being intercepted. And so there was a couple of weird takes throwing around on Twitter. It's like, oh, it's dirty play. It's horrible. No, I mean, he's just trying to break up the pass, right? There's nothing wrong with that. I and mean, he was purposely trying to like split his Having hand. said that, if horse collar tackles are going to be illegal because they're dangerous, that should be. Yeah, kind of grab them. He leapt on a guy's back and was like trying to, you know, wreck the guy from behind, essentially, exactly the same way a horse collar tackle does, except with the purpose being to try and stop him intercepting a pass as opposed to tackling him. But either way, you're like falling on the guy's legs from behind. Like if that's illegal one way, it should be illegal the other way as well. Yeah. I call him. You're right, right all about it. Um, I think is Tom Brady declining. Is it time to dust off the article? Yeah. There were howling, howling winds, 15 to 20 miles an hour. I'm just saying that if, were uh, not helpful. If Muhammad Sanu no, he wasn't very good. Had been throwing the ball to Philip Dorsett, it would have got there. Yeah, Brady was not very good. I think the biggest there's multiple issues with this offense, right? Clearly, he's not throwing the ball the same way he has mm-hmm. in recent years. So therefore, you need you need more help. I think this might be the slowest offense in the NFL. Watch like watching all of their guys get into routes. I mean, they've got f- Ben Watson at forty years old. They've got the slowest tight ends. That's not even close. <laughs> no, 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 no. The slowest tight end is Jason Witten. I said tight ends. Yeah, yeah, but his Blake drag Jarwin factor. makes up for him. No, it doesn't. His drag. He has his highest speed this year, according to NGS, is the same oh, as that's Antoine true. Woods. Yeah. So well, somebody look up Matt Lacoste's <laughs> speed and Ben Watson's speed. If Blake Jarwin runs like Tyreek Hill, it's not enough to offset Jason Witten. All right, so they've got a slow group of tight ends. They add Nikhil Harry to the mix, That's which is a, so between Nikhil Harry, Mohamed Sanu, Julian. Now Philip Dorsett's fast. Yes, um, he went down. Right, they he lost did. Him. He did get hurt after the touchdown that Edelman threw. But between Edelman, Sanu, and now Harry, they're all just like possession receiver types, and it's just not really a dynamic offense. And of course, you know their backs are always quicker than fast type guys and all that stuff. So they're just they're they're missing any sort of downfield, even intermediate component to this offense. And then Brady's issue right now is just like passes in the flat that he's missing. Like that, those were the passes he just never really missed before. So even if he did it, he would have games where he didn't have to go down the field as much. But as long as you hit all the short stuff, you can run an efficient offense, right? He's not even hitting some of those right now. And he still continues to make ridiculous red zone decisions. He almost got picked also remains in the end zone. Pretty catastrophic under pressure this season. Yeah, and that's overall, which has not been a good thing. Yeah, you know, those are one of those things you're supposed to look at that and say, well, it's going to revert back. But at some point, it's like, well, you're 42. Can you really handle that? I mean, then there's other times I think I don't think he, you know, he's feeling it a little bit when it's not getting there. And uh, Isaiah, I think he really wants Isaiah Wynn to come back and be good. And that would help a lot. Not have Marshall Newhouse at left tackle. That's been a problem, though. Ted Karras got it, got beaten up a lot in this game. Well, Newhouse was getting whooped on screen. Brady got killed on screens where like you're supposed to at least slow down the rusher and yeah. Newhouse wasn't doing that. So the thing is he's taking the hits now that he didn't use that he didn't take before, right? It's not yeah. that it's not that he can't play in the face of this pressure, it's that this is the Brett Favre thing, right? When you get to being in your 40s, you'll know this, Steve. We're we're both old. We're almost there. Yeah. Um stuff starts breaking. 
like you take hits before and stuff starts breaking when it didn't, it didn't when you were younger. And that's the problem, right? Brett Favre was made out of like cast iron for most of his career. Then suddenly he hit forties and stuff just started disintegrating on the mat. Yeah. It's like, you know what? I can't be a, I can't be a punching bag the way I used to. Now he had the, like his biggest problem is that that was like his style, right? It was just basically act as a human pinata and just keep on trucking. Right. That's not Brady style, but the, but his problem is that he went from, he's gone from this end of the spectrum of, I basically never get hit. So you're not going to be able to injure me to suddenly now I'm taking some hits and I'm, you know, 52 years old. Now we have problems because a, I'm taking way more than I used to. And B I'm old to the point where stuff's starting to break when I do get hit. So this is the worst time possible for me to start taking more hits than I used to. Um, what, where, out of top to bottom, right? Patriots, 53 man roster. Where do you think Brady ranks in arm strength on that roster? Is he higher than fourth? Stop. Muhammad Sanu definitely has a stronger arm than him. Stidham probably does, right? No, he can still zip it. He can still zip it when he needs to. He never, yeah. Fast, higher than Stidham? Did you see some of the throws he made just last year? At best, he's third. Oh, you're ridiculous. And he may be fourth. I think he's always had underrated arm strength. and unwind when he won. Oh, Ed, that was a good throw by Edelman. Yeah. It was accurate. So there's a, you could make the case that he's got the fourth best arm on the Patriots. I don't think he can. I refuse. How high do you want to land? Still first. You're out of your mind. There's no way he's got a better arm than Sanu. No way. Of course he does. Sanu has a cannon. You haven't even Sanu seen has a home. top five arm in the NFL. No, he does. Did he you not awesome. see them? Sanu run, awesome. Did you not see them? Um, they All did right, so like Sanu, a, Brady, Edelman. Well, Edelman. Huh. They did a, like a video series where they pulled some Madden guys out and they had Sanu try and uncork like as, as deep a pass he could throw. And like he he was like it was he had a longer. Um, I can't remember if they did it by velocity or, or just pure distance, but they basically clocked. I think it was clocked. They clocked his throws at faster velocity than Cam Newton. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. So Sanu wins. Yes. This is what I'm saying. Like Sanu has a legitimate cannon. That's pretty good. There's no way, none, that Brady has a stronger arm than Sanu. Okay. So we second. can debate Stidham, but he doesn't have a stronger arm. Well, Stidham's got a pretty good arm. This is what I'm saying. He's, he's at best third. No. So Nikhil Harry makes his debut, 32 snaps. Mm-hmm. They got it to him on a play action slant, got it to him on a screen. There were two play, at least two plays where it looked like he was the first read uh-huh. running a curl and maybe a slant. Just not dynamic getting I, off the. I need to go and, and watch all of his routes. But at any point, did he get open? I mean, on the slant, the first slant he did, but I felt like that was more like you're running through a zone. I don't know if it got like when he was. Playing one on when he was in one on one coverage, it wasn't great. Yeah, it it just looked slow. So I think I think he was the first read on a couple passes where Brady had to come off of him. And talking about Brady's where, where things are getting worse. Yeah, it is second read type of stuff, or when his feet aren't planted, like he missed a, missed a pass in the flat to James White, where it's like he didn't completely set his feet, and he used to just be able to kind of like sling it. Yeah, you, know, you just kind of get away with it, right? You just do it, and he just missed it. The last two years, it seems like those are the ones where the precision, like the mechanical precision is not there that Tom appreciates, but he can't make up for it all the time with his arm. So you end up missing a few more throws. And then if nobody else, you know, I just don't see a ton of guys getting open. It's just not a dynamic 
passing offense. And for whatever we say about the running game, whether it's useless or not, like their running game has been useless. And in the past, it has been a nice compliment. It's like, hey, they knew that they could run the ball when they have favorable looks. They've always run the ball efficiently. That's just not there this year either. It's not, it's not going to win them games, but they'd at least, you know, yeah. average four and a half yards per pop and, and things like that quite often. I think he's justifiably reaching a point where he needs a bit of help from the supporting cast around. Oh, I think that's absolutely fair. Yeah. More than most years, you know, more than dating back for a while now. That help isn't there. Right? Even last year when Gronk was declining, if you go back through their season, he hit Gronk on a key throw to like win the game against Kansas City 43 to 40. Like Gronk was there. Gronk was there in the Super right. Bowl. Gronk so, was there yeah. in the AFC Championship. Like he had a go to guy, I mean, yeah, just, which was a declining Gronk. Just, you know, Gronk was there, right? There, yeah. There's no Gronk. There's nobody even in the same vicinity as Gronk. They have nobody. Yeah, I still yeah a collection of guys. This is like the early you know the early Patriots teams. It's like who is he throwing to? Right. Look at this collection of misfits. Now that would work when Brady was young and had some you know arm and physical ability. Now it's like I mean there's nobody there. Yeah. So it was the game plan wise too. Sometimes they run into these games where they're really trying to they're really afraid of the pass rush, right? So it was a, a lot of screens, and they're rolling them out a bunch. Like he rolled out like five or six times. There's going to be a bunch of people, by the way, bitching at this idea of, you know, people that subscribe to his Instagram have been like, I see he can run a faster 40 now than he did when he was 20 or 21 or whatever he came out of. Yeah. This is, I mean, he still doesn't. He's not as physically. I would say if you're, if you want to talk about like physical decline, if he just had to like stand in there and zip the ball, I don't know that the velocity is that much different. I think the bigger issues, like when he was rolling out in the end zone, he's had multiple red zone picks this year where he's trying to do something off platform and the ball is just not coming out right. And that happened. That was last year against the Steelers too. He tried to throw the ball out of bounds off balance. He couldn't get it out there. It's more the, the off platform stuff. That's where I think the arms not there as much. That's where I think true arm strength actually shows up because those are the things that's really difficult to consistently practice. Yeah. You don't, you don't know that those aren't there until you try and throw it. And it's like, like he's got plenty of lasers that he threw over the last two years where it's like, Oh look, he still has zip. It's more the, when things aren't perfect, around him uh tough one for the eagles i mean this this whole game just felt like all right when is an offense gonna get something going carson wentz held the ball in the pocket a little bit too long a couple times took some sacks fumble it was the patriots defense being tough again though yeah um it was i this is kind of turning into the story of the eagle season is that they've had chances to win a bunch of these close games and haven't been able to do it and consequently they're kind of in a bit of a hole they were very banged up offensively mm-hmm. Lane Johnson was already grading extremely well on about 22 snaps, whatever it was. And then Vitae had to come in. Yeah. Vitae, uh, Lane Johnson goes out with a concussion. Vitae gives up three pressures, felt like more. Felt like he got whooped a little bit worse than that. And as we said, you know, Aguilar dropping what could, could have, should have been the game tire. Tying, yeah. winning, whatever, touchdown. Can we get to this Sunday night football debacle? Yeah. So Trubisky got benched. Having after having what? been told that he had a hip injury, I don't think this is a big story. Did they bench Trubisky? Yeah, it's more that when they benched him, it's like you benched him before the final drive, like trying to spark the offense. If you're going to do it, that that's not the time. It's also so you know it's one of this classic like, tell you what, Mitch, we're going to tell everybody that you got a hip injury, but between you and me. You're just going to sit down before you hurt yourself. Um, we, we've given it as long as we can go, Mitch. 
But are we you know what? right now it's embarrassing yourself, you're embarrassing me, and I can't deal with it anymore. Let me let me ask so you this. Seat. People are outraged because they're just outraged about everything. Okay. What are they are they outraged that poor Mitchell's gonna have his confidence shot and he's not gonna play well going forward? Like what are they outraged about? Who's who's outraged? I don't know. People are just like, oh, that wasn't right. This this was wrong. Was he benched? Was he hurt? Like, I think that's like, who cares? <laughs> I think the timing was iffy. I think it's also it's just it just looks silly when you're like, oh, he's got a hip injury. It's like, does, <laughs> what was the conversation? Were you telling him that he's got a hip injury? Like, Listen, I just hurt. can't you risk just a hip him. out there. I look it just. Come out and say it's, you benched him. Everyone knows. You're just saying dress. I mean, up yes, I would. Is. I would just be honest, and I would say, look, we're trying to spark the offense. The guy scored seven points. Yeah, but should also have, easily could have been thirteen with two missed field goals. It's like the thing I said that at some point you just have to make the change because you can't keep going like this. Like the Marcus Mariota thing. Well, yeah, sure, it might not be better. Hey, Chase Daniel might be worse than you, but at some point I can't let this continue. And just keep rolling because it's obnoxious. So we're going to have to make a change now. So making it before the final drive was a little weird, but maybe I'm maybe I'm being too robotic and not being um, not taking the human element into it as much. We keep talking about just keep drafting quarterbacks and replacing them and telling them, you know, if you want to be my franchise guy, you deal with it. But again, are we at a point where we're like, hey, Mitchell's too fragile. You don't want to, you don't want to upset his ego well, because I mean, I think we need him. Like he's not going to play any worse than he is now. Yeah, see, this is the thing, right? We've reached a point where it doesn't matter because we've established that he's not good. So we're moving on, right? If that wasn't the case, we would be starting to ask serious questions about whether this guy has the makeup to be an NFL quarterback because of some of the stuff that's coming out. We don't want to. We don't want to talk about benching him because that would upset his ego. He has to turn off TVs in the building because he's sick of hearing bad things talked about him. They were talking about on the broadcast that they, him and Matt Nagy sat down and went through a TV copy of one of his games. And the conclusion they came to was, you know, you just look like you're having fun out there, Mitch. You need to, you know, enjoy it. Go out there, have some fun. It's like, you can't have fun because he's playing like ass. Of course, he's not having fun. Like that's not your, having fun. That's your problem. And they were like, you know, th- so they brought, you know, Alan Chris brought up, well, like Brett Favre, he always used to have fun. It's like, oh, yeah, God, he was, my favorite, my favorite thing. Well, my favorite thing about old Brett Favre games is he'd come out, he'd overthrow that first pass by about 10 yards and John Madden would be like, oh, look at Brett. He's having so much right. fun. He's just too excited. He'll settle down. Right. He overthrows the next one. Oh, yeah, he's too excited. He's <laughs> having a great time out there. He's like a little kid. If Brett Favre had a consistent run of playing like Trubisky, he wouldn't be having a lot of fun. No. Either, right? Because Brett knew. He's like, hey, I'm still Brett is, Favre. I'll make some good right. plays at some point. If, exactly. If, if Mitchell Trubisky knew that in his own head, we'd be okay. But if that's all the stuff that's coming out, we're already like too far beyond the point of salvaging this. I look, I, I respect coaches because they have to play that psychological game, right? It, it's so tough. Like, I mean, so John, it's we. You know how much we're crediting the Ravens for what they did. Yeah. Well, let's credit the Cowboys for having Dak Prescott for having them. For having D- Dak Prescott, right? Uh, they have Dak. They're, they're a competitive team now. Okay. The Ravens passed on Lamar Jackson for a 25-year-old former minor league baseball playing tight end, hmm. Hayden Hurst, mm-hmm. who is doing nothing for them. Mm. They passed on Lamar. Then they came back and got Lamar. Yeah. The Cowboys wanted Paxton Lynch. They tried oh so hard to get Paxton Lynch, and they yeah. landed on Dak. Whew. So if you're Jason Garrett or you're John Harbaugh, you have a guy. You have Lamar Jackson, you have Dak Prescott that you feel like you could build around and good things are happening or whatever. If you're Matt Nagy, you have Mitch Trubisky. That's just who you have. It's just who 
you've been given. So you have to do everything you can from turning TVs off if you think you need to do that to telling them to have fun out there, whatever. Like you, you have to try to push every button to get the most out of them, whatever it is. I believe the Bears were not one of the teams that attended the shit show that is the Colin Kaepernick workout. That feels like a, an avenue you might have explored. Anyway. Um, the, I don't know. The Rams defense looked really good, aided dramatically by the fact they played Mitchell Trubisky. Um, Donald had another Donald game. Wrecked people. Um, Troy Hill. Troy Hill in the game. Yeah. Okay, he's facing number two receivers almost exclusively. But Save it for a my guy, for the My Guy podcast. I will, but for now, Troy Hill played well. Um, they, the Rams' defense, I think, looked good. Chicago's defense did not, but on the other hand, they didn't really get much of a chance because the Rams were actually able to execute. The big story out of this for me on, on the Rams' side is that they basically, out of necessity, had to play two rookies on the offensive line, both of whom appeared to be an upgrade over the people that they'd been playing so far, particularly at right tackle, Bobby Evans. And look, Bobby Evans was not amazing, right? But Bobby Evans was a notable step forward over the catastrophe that has been Rob Havenstein this season, which in and of itself needs some explanation. Because how do you go from being one of the better right tackles in the NFL to being an unmitigated disaster without like an obvious explanation of, oh, he actually lost his right leg in a boating accident in the offseason. He's playing on crutches. Like there needs to be something like that explaining that. And there isn't. And so far, Bobby Evans looks like a massive upgrade. Yeah, him and David Edwards on the right side. Chris mentioned it a few times. They run a little bit more gap scheme. Just give me more vertical than horizontal movement. Get upfield. Um, I won't make the run game jokes. Everybody was, you know, they ran the ball quite a bit. They did. Scored 17 points. Mm-hmm. Um, Jared Goff's best throws were negated by penalty. Yeah. That's stupid. Illegal formation. He threw a dime down the field that should have been yes. a touchdown late. Mm-hmm. But those count in our world as far as evaluating yeah, Goff, as as unfortunately. Not for the stats. Todd Gurley, 25 carries for 97 yards. That's 3.9 a pop mm. for his three missed tackles. Yeah, did all right. They ran the ball a lot. They did. The Rams keeping their season afloat. Pretty much. Just about. It'll help getting back, you know, receivers and things. Yes. You know, they were basically Cooper Cup and nobody else yesterday. A lot of injuries up there. All right. Monday Night Football, Kansas City Chiefs at the Los Angeles Chargers. What are you expecting? Uh, I am expecting the Chiefs offense to roll. Fireworks. I am expecting their defense to get enough pass rush to make it so that the Phillip Rivers-led offense do not keep pace. So Chargers lose. I think by the end of this night, because Mahomes is the last thing that you saw, people are going to be talking about Mahomes for MVP. (laughs) Because it's a primetime game. There's a very real chance of that happening. People are going to forget how good that offense was with Matt Moore. Not that it matters, but people are going to... I agree. I think that's true. By the end of the season, Mahomes' stats are just going to look so good. It's like, oh, yep, stats are good. He's going to have a season's worth of stats in whatever it is, 14 games. Yeah. 13 plus, really. All right, that's it. Week 11, almost in the books. Enjoy Monday Night Football. Get to PFF.com. Premium stats 2.0. Go check it out. All the grades are coming in throughout the day. See you guys Wednesday, Thursday. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it 
after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL.